Hi folks, this is Abel James, and thank you so very much for listening to Fat Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. I'm coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee this week, where we're hanging out in the woods. Actually, I'm taking a quick respite from nature to record a few shows here today. We're at an Airbnb place uh, that's in the art district, which is kind of cool. But pretty soon, it'll be back to the woods to work on some new blog posts and videos for you guys. So along those lines, I'm really excited to say we just released the Wild Diet Cooking Class, which is a 16-part cooking series that shows you how to cook quick and easy meals for you and your family in 15 minutes or less. So my wife Allison and I set up GoPros and cameras all around our kitchen to show you how exactly we cook at home, and I hope you like it. So if you'd like to check it out, please visit fatburningman.com. And as always, the best way to keep in touch is to go to fatburningman.com, enter your email address, and make sure you never miss another show, and you'll also get a few free gifts and recipes for signing up. So check that out. You can also find me on Twitter at fatburnman, so let me know what you think about the show. Leave some funny hashtag or something on there, and Facebook as fatburningman or Abel James. So I love hearing what you guys think of the shows, so keep in touch. In the meantime, here is the review of the week. This one's for the podcast. Uh, it's it's five stars from Beach Bum Mommy Four. <laughs> Amazing and life changing, she says. I absolutely cannot say enough about the Fat Burning Man uh, podcasts. I've always considered myself health conscious, but more in the ways of conventional wisdom until I turned an amazing corner about a year ago when I stumbled on other people who spoke about healthy fats, proteins, non-GMO, eating organic, etc. I love Abel's genuine approach to helping others learn. He sought out a wealth of information, knowledge, and amazing people he interviews on these podcasts are truly life-changing. The content of these podcasts is more than just info. It is life-changing and life-sustaining knowledge towards optimal health. So thank you so much for that, Beach Bum Mummy 4. (laughs) That's a really great name, by the way. Uh, So along those lines, on this show, one of the things I wanted to do is show that being healthy and happy at the same time is not only possible, but pretty much the only way you can do it for the rest of your life. You have to enjoy this. And so uh, I, more than just having a show about this or, or writing books about it, literally, this is what we do every day. We think about this stuff all the time. It's a part of our lifestyle. And I want to show other people like you guys, uh, the awesome listeners out there in internet land, that it really is simpler than most people make it out to be. Uh, and that's why I interview uh, you know, over 150 shows now. People, everything from like backwoods survival to how to start a farm to the best exercises you can do. There are little bits of information from all of those pieces, but mostly it's about knowing that this is simple. It's about real food and old-fashioned exercises like functional movement, uh, you know, lifting stones around, running outside, really cool stuff. A lot more fun than the miserable environment that most people talk about if you want to be healthy. Uh, You don't need to abuse yourself to lose a few pounds or to get in the best shape of your life. So let me know what you think of the show by leaving a review on iTunes as well. I read every one of them. Uh, Now on to today's show with Mr. John Moody. I had the pleasure of uh, hosting a panel at Paleo FX with John and uh, it was on sustainability. Very fascinating man with a really cool history. So listen to this. Imagine a life filled with allergies, ulcers, and otherwise ill health. Then imagine finding out that all of that could be healed through real food. This was John's life a bit over a decade ago, riddled with disease in his early 20s, healed, 
and sent on a journey into real food, sustainable farming, and the forces that seek to deny us both. John is an administrative for the Whole Life Buying Club in Louisville, Kentucky, one of the largest local food buying clubs in the nation, and also the interim executive director of the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, and his family seeks to tend well their 35-acre farmstead in Kentucky. On this show with John, you'll learn how to make your own fermented ketchup at home, how to eat free wild edibles from your backyard, why some of the healthiest food is illegal in most states, and much more. All right, let's go hang out with John. Hi, folks. I'm very excited to be here today with Mr. John Moody, who is a farmer, author, activist, and interim director of the Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund. How's it going, John? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing just very, very well today. Thank you very much. Let's start with um, when <laughs> you weren't doing so well, like a lot of the people who I've had on this show have uh, come from a place next to death almost, you know, kind of like dragging mm. their sorry selves along um, with some sort of sickness or other that may have come from uh, something related to the diet or the environment. Your story is is particularly interesting, and it's led you to a really cool path. So why don't we why don't we get started with your struggles? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I grew up in a typical American family, um, eating the typical American diet: breakfast cereals, canned sodas, potato chips, fried foods, whole nine yards, and. Um, you know, grew up with allergies, grew up with dental cavities. Um, you know, I, I was not a healthy young man, but I thought I was healthy like most Americans because yeah. normal in America is defined by you get sick quite often, you need to go to the doctor. Um, but when I hit my early 20s, my body really began to break down on me. Mm -hmm. And um, my allergies became incredibly severe. And I even started to develop duodenal ulcers, hmm. which are basically like holes um, bare holes in your intestinal tract where the stomach acid and other things are just lapping up against these bare raw holes in your body. Yeah. And so I went to a doctor and, um, even though I was in my early twenties, the doctor was just like, Hey, no big deal. Um, we'll just put you on this medicine. And I asked him, I go, Hey, like, well, what's this medicine going to do to me? Right. And it was almost comical where he pulls out the insert for this medicine and he, flips it open and it begins to fold and it rolls like all the way down to the floor and across the floor. And it's like this real tiny print. And he's like struggling to see what is this? He's like, well, he said, it looks like this medicine shuts off your body's ability to produce hydrochloric acid. Mm -hmm. And at first I'm like, I'm like, I've discovered my superpower. Like <laughs> I produce hydrochloric acid. Like I can burn holes in concrete and cement. <laughs> and then my second response was like, I was like, you know, doctor, I was like, if my body produces hydrochloric acid, isn't that important? Like, do, do we really want to be shutting off my body's ability to produce hydrochloric acid if right. that's what my body's made to do? And he had no good answer for me. Um, he was just dumbstruck by the question itself. Like, the whole idea that we should try and understand how the body works mm -hmm. and bring it back to full functioning rather than merely treat symptoms of when it gets into a state of dysbiosis it was just foreign to his approach to medicine. Yeah. And so I walked away with the prescription because I really didn't have a choice at the time because I was in just such bad shape. Um, but within six months, through changing our diet, 
both where we bought food and how we prepared food, I was able to completely heal my duodenal ulcers. Um, I had seasonal allergies so bad that Benadryl was sending me free stock options. <laughs> and I've, I had no more seasonal allergies. My brother and my sister are both asthmatic. Yeah. And they just can't believe it. Um, that I have literally no allergies whatsoever. Right. And I live in the Ohio River Valley on a 35-acre permaculture farm. Sure. It's just like ceaseless pollen. I haven't had a dental cavity in probably 13 or 14 years. Wow. And so that that just like propelled my – she was my fiancé at the time. She's now my wonderful wife because she makes really big mistakes, I guess. <laughs> oh, come on. And so, like, it just propelled us into an unexpected journey yeah. um, into food and into farming and to helping people with real food and then trying to protect people's access to real food and small farmers so that they can be healthy as well. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's where it gets interesting because a lot of us, in, including myself, have heard from doctors, oh, it has nothing to do with diet or <laughs> you can't heal yourself with diet. What? What did you do exactly um, to do precisely that, to, to heal yourself with real food? Yeah, well, we were recommended to a set of cookbooks by a lady by the name of Sue Gregg. Um, and so paleo people will not be familiar with Sue Gregg because her cookbooks were like all grain. Mm -hmm. um, but they were whole food, real yeah. vegetables, whole grains. And um, when we were reading Sue Gregg, she had a little place on her website where she said, because she was an older lady at this time, even then she was already older, probably in her 60s or so. And she goes, you need to look at all the information in my books through the lens of the work of the Weston A. Price Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, so then I got myself a copy of Nourishing Traditions by Sally Fallon Great book, and yeah. Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Weston A. Price. Mm -hmm. And... um. I mean, those books were just eye-openers yeah. on so many different levels. Um, and so, you know, we went from eating processed white bread to where we'd make our own sourdough breads. Cool. And we'd go from eating um, Walmart chicken, and I guess it was really probably Sam's Club. Um, <laughs> you, you know, we did the gateway drug where we started chopping it like wild oats yeah. and whole paycheck. Sure. Um, and then from those two places, we did the CSA, um, you know, the, the mystery box of vegetables that you right. get every week. Um, and, and so it was just this, it was a process for us that took many years in total, though thankfully things we did at the beginning resulted in su substantial health benefits like mm -hmm. bone stock, mm -hmm. you know, going from cooking your meats, um, frying or grilling to cooking them under low temperature for longer periods of time and drinking all the liquid that that produces and cooking not just the muscle meat of animals, but taking advantage of the bones and the collagen and the ligaments, um, you know, eating the whole beast mm -hmm. rather than just the muscle meat. Um, those were some of the very first things we did because at the time my wife and I were incredibly poor. Um, we got married and within like eight weeks, I think my wife was pregnant roughly. Wow. Um, and I was still in school finishing up a master's. And so like we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we felt very strongly we wanted to pay people fairly for the food we were eating and we wanted to eat well. Mm -hmm. And so you can't afford to eat filet mignon. 
you end up getting the cuts of meat that are actually so much better for you and more right. nutritious. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of the strange dichotomy there. So, yeah, it's a beautiful thing though when you can go to a farmer's market and spend like we usually spend like one half or one third of what a lot of other people are spending on meat just because mm-hmm. we're going for those cuts that are way less pop. It's really just supply and demand. It's like a popularity yes. contest among amongst meats. It has nothing to do with how good they are for you. Um, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so you were able to to turn your health around. Um, by basically going back to the way we used to eat, it sounds like. Because mm-hmm. yeah. those books that you mentioned, they're great books, but they're not new. It's not like cutting-edge stuff. Oh, no. It's really what the way my grandmother right. cooked yeah. before she was PR campaigned into feeling guilty for eating the way that resulted in her and my grandfather and their grandparents living to be 70, 80, 90 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's what really stands out to me is like my grandfather smoked every day. Mm-hmm. He was like six foot eight. And I mean, he was wow. like perfectly healthy into his seventies. Yeah. You know, like even though he smoked and he was eating bacon and eggs just about <laughs> every single morning. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and that was, that was his mom and dad. Like they were incredibly healthy until their seventies, until their eighties. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow they convinced my grandma and all these other people that that it's they're killing themselves, even though they're the only ones healthy around, and their kids right. look terrible. How does that happen? Because <laughs> I've I've seen it happen. I've witnessed it. I've even experienced it. Uh, what is that disconnect? You know, when there are people in in a group who basically might have things just fine, or their their health is kind of in line, but because everything around them is not, they kind of get pulled into that herd mentality of. Here, eat this poison. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this is a broader topic that I always encourage people to look into, but the cultural effect of World War II hmm. on how we arranged ourselves as a society, mm-hmm. in some ways, the food system we got is part and parcel of the transformative effect of that war. Interesting. Another great example is like diamonds. Mm-hmm. Diamonds are, are inherently worthless almost. Um, so, so like, Especially the pretty if, ones. The ones you can yeah. put into a blade, you can use those. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, other than like industrial uses because of their hardness. Right. Um, so like before World War II, there was no diamond ring industry whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a number of great articles that show that like when did guys think the only way you can get married – is by putting yourself in $10,000 of debt to show your affection for a girl. It was all marketing. It was all PR post-World War II. Like, and you know, why did so many people smoke post-World War II? Well, the the cigarette companies gave the troops free cigarettes, Mm -hmm. not merely to support the war effort, but because it was, you see the development of early advertising and their understanding of how like, peer pressure from behavior and other things. And when they got the soldiers hooked on these things, diamond rings, all this other stuff, when they infiltrated housewives with, oh, like, well, sophisticated housewives, they don't cook from scratch. They cook Betty Crocker. Right. It, you know, because who doesn't want to be sophisticated? Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want to be modern? And even though Betty Crocker was invented by a marketing team. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Well, and, and that's the worst part, you know. So the war and other factors just made the average American ripe for the corporate picking, mm-hmm. and and because they also controlled the government dietary guidelines at that time. Denise Minger, who I'm sure you've heard of, yeah, she's been on her the show. book Death by Food Pyramid. It's Great another book. must read. Yeah, you know, like she shows that you know what you have is corporations running the dietary guidelines coming out of the government mm-hmm. so the advertisers are getting people from both sides it, what all they're hearing culturally is you well you should eat this way and the you know the hen house is being not just guarded by the foxes but the hen house is now a foxhole yeah and and the hen house is giving all bad information and and there's just there's very few people who had the sense to see yeah. That they are being played on a you know basically a national scale mm-hmm. between the two. Now, one of the things that you've done or, or, or that you do now is protect the rights of the consumer to eat real foods mm-hmm. that come from uh, local sources, which is mm-hmm. uh, very much a challenge these days. Like most of the milk that I drink when I choose to drink it is illegal, and uh, <laughs> that's very bizarre, right? Yeah, moonshine, <laughs> right? Moonshine milk. Uh, firstly. How – if you walk into Sam's Club or whatever today, why is the food that's there there? Okay. And then we, we can go. Yeah. So the first thing to realize is when you spend a dollar at a place like Sam's Club, Walmart, McDonald's, farmers on average get 20 cents or less of your dollar. Wow. So um, the USDA releases what they call the food dollar breakdown every few years where they show where a dollar of consumer spending goes in the food system. Mm-hmm. Farmers don't get any of it. So you have to wonder why do farmers sell into a system that's so bad for them? Well, um, most of your listeners are probably familiar with Upton Sinclair's mm-hmm. work of fiction because it, it actually wasn't very factual, his work of fiction, The Jungle. Mm-hmm. And so Upton Sinclair and others kicked off, again, right around the time of the the Second World War and this cultural revolution, they kicked off and inaugurated a radical expansion of government involvement in our dinner plates. So you have a guy by the name of Earl um, Butts. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he also comes up in Denise's book. Really interesting character. And he, I believe, was the head of the USDA, and he traveled the country telling farmers that they either were to get big, meaning go industrial, or get out of farming. Mm -hmm. This was government policy under this guy. Um, And then you have government food safety regulations, um, uh, you know, food stupidity regulations is (laughs) is a better way of thinking about it, um, that – further punished anyone who didn't go into that system. Yeah. So, you know, like, why, why could you not get eggs from my farm at a local grocery store? Well, one is I could never produce enough eggs to stock a grocery store even for three hours. Mm-hmm. Two, to sell to that grocery store, I would have to have $2 million in product liability insurance. I'd have to have a quarter million dollar egg washing machine. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so everything about selling food in that model excludes small-scale farmers who care for their animals, care for their land, and really care about making a high-quality product. Mm-hmm. It's The whole deck is just stacked against 
real farmers feeding people through those avenues of food distribution. Right. My brother has a uh, works on an organic farm in upstate New York, and right now they're dealing with some issues that are going on there with regulations.